In greenest day, in strangest night, no similarity shall escape my sight. Let those who worship tropes might beware our power, the tasty debriefs might. Today, heaping into uh, Doctor Strange and Green Lantern, their similarities, their dissimilarities, the story arcs of things, and uh, let's tuck in. So. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we're looking today at Doctor Strange um, and the Green Lantern and the very, very unnerving amount of similarities between the two. It's almost it, like a twin film, except there's seven. How many years is there between them? Uh, five. There's five years between them. And Is it only five? Yeah, Doctor Strange yeah. was 2016, Green Lantern was 2011. Yeah, tw- mm. Green Lantern feels so much older, doesn't it? It has right. not aged well. My flatmate <laughs> was watching it with me and said, oh wow, I hate, I love early 2000s CGI. It's true though. I mean, as far as like films in general, CGI does not age well from year to year because there's so many just giant leaps and bounds. But yeah. Like in my head, I thought it was like two thousand and six, like the age of Mister Brightside. I thought that's when Green Lantern was out. Yeah, two thousand and six was the year I put on it until I researched into it, and I was like, oh shit! Oh it's a, no! It's a surprisingly recent film. Yeah, yeah. upsettingly so. Yeah. Oh, poor Ryan Reynolds. Right? Mm. Yeah. The main thing um, is this: this has been talked about a few times before. The similarities between these two films, but. Nobody's done a podcast on it, so uh, you know, gap in the market there. I mean, you said it's been talked about before. Considering how similar these films are, it's not been talked about that much at all. Yeah. No, there mm-hmm. are uh, there are a couple uh, YouTube video essays and stuff that we looked articles. at preparing for these that we'll link oh. in the uh, description of some sort. Through but, magic. Um, yeah. But there's like surprisingly little about it, yeah. considering how mm-hmm. overwhelmingly the same they are. Do you consider that maybe a little bit of superhero film blindness? Possibly. I mean, a lot of people don't really tend to make the connections between sort of DC and Marvel anyway. They'll criticize Marvel films for being all the same as each other and they'll do the same for DC. There's not a lot of jump between. Mm. Plus, if you compare Marvel and DC with a proper DC fanboy or Marvel fanboy, they'll, they'll kill you. Like, I've interviewed a guy who owned a comic book store who refused to say which he preferred more just in case of losing business. Understandable. Very understandable. For anyone who's listening to this that's unfamiliar with the character arcs, um, should we just outline uh, Green Lantern's basic arc and then Doctor Strange? Yeah, let's look at Green Lantern first. Uh, Liam, you're the sort of authority on Green Lantern. Do you want to take us through the plot? I mean, the plot is quite simple. Dickhead with daddy issues crashes and has some issues in his everyday life and things start to seem to fall apart. Then he gets a magical power. Then he gets trained. Then a big bad happens. Then you've got a little villain who's been given powers by the big bad. And then you kind of have a whole fight where you find out that the authority that owns this group of people he's joined has suddenly been evil and betrayed everything he stood for. And then he defeats the little bad guy, defeats the big bad guy with a trick, and then he remains the same character at the end of the film. No, no, we wanted you to talk about Green Lantern, not Doctor Strange. Um, yeah. The, the, the fundamental <laughs> joke there being that those are the descriptions if you bore it down to it bore it down boil it boil it down to its most basic plot beats so yeah so what we're looking at here is in a way two very distinctly similar character arcs um that mimic the heroic journey um uh i think aristotle's basic story structure of heroic 
journey or if you want to call them Byronic heroes or whatever literary term you want to slap on it. Fundamentally, yeah. modern screenwriting, um, you've got uh, Christopher Vogler and his The Writer's Journey, and it's very clear that both of these uh, films have a lot of that inspiration, but I would say most superhero films do, but they don't follow the beats. Like everyone, every, every beat can be interpreted differently, but these films have chosen to interpret it almost exactly the same. Mm. So why do you think that could uh, potentially be? Um, well, if we uh, do a little bit of internet digging, um, include some sort of weird matrixy sound effect here, just so I can go. Anyway, um, <laughs> we do a little bit of internet digging and we look at like the publishing dates of the original documents. Documents being the comics. Um, they were both published. Uh, these particular characters in the Silver Age of comic books, uh, which is early mid nineteen fifties. The Green Lantern before Hal Jordan of Green Lantern fame fame because he's always the one that people seem to stick on because he was the longest running Green Lantern um, being before that. But when Doctor Strange and Hal were both uh, introduced, uh, they were in the same period. Um, and there's actually a lot of trends within comic books of that time that seem to parallel themselves. Um, for example, DC started pushing... Uh, the Justice League and Marvel started coming out with more teens as well um, sort of maybe exemplifying unity after the world wars um, and you're kind of looking at that sort of fantastical struggle to rebuild and push away even though the franchises have been always at odd they're always trying to kind of communicate the same thing with their heroes um, in terms of a larger media scope in my opinion whereas and I think the trope consistently is is that marvel is about people trying to be heroes whereas dc is about heroes trying to be people and it's just kind of a it's it's always been an interesting sort of philosophical dynamic between those things in the comic books when you're looking at their artistic styles and then their their story styles and then how they interpret conflict and building themselves together but we could do a whole separate podcast on comic book similarities so i turn it to the uh, filmmakers in the room um where are the trends of filmmaking that have gone into the making of these uh particular movies um and why do you think those are so prevalent so with 2011 and 2016 what are kind of the movie tropes that could maybe experience and not experience exemplify these similarities well for one obviously contemporary filming like superheroes are the most popular genre and that's the immediate similarity is they're both superhero films um just because i feel it's a big kind of movement is superheroes tend to become popular whenever reality is a little bit rubbish people turn to like you know these larger than life characters so that's one you've also got a lot of just modern contemporary things especially with things like villains uh, the movement towards more sympathetic villains has become a much bigger thing mm -hmm. in recent uh filmmaking movements so like i.e thanos i.e thanos would be the example of it and then both of the villains in this turns out that there's actually the people we thought were the good guys are actually drawing the power off of it with good intentions and that's kind of the breaking down of those lines of you know oh sometimes good people do bad things which is one beat they share almost exactly is these kind of mentor characters in the form of the the guardians in the mm -hmm. in the green lantern created the yellow lantern because one of them tried to harness it for the power of good 
and the uh, the ancient one turns out she's been drawing off of the power of Dormammu, which is a really, which is a dumb name. I want to point out. Can, can we agree that both of the main villains in these films have dumb names? Yeah. Absolutely. Dormammu, Dormammu and Parallax. Parallax. Yeah, I was gonna say I can I can name a very very dumb. It's this the dumbest. I can't think of anything stupider than Batman having a villain called the Man Bat. There's a lot of dumb names in comics, and um, I feel these are two of the worst. <laughs> I can I can see what they're going for in these kind of like otherworldly Lovecraftian horrors, but Lovecraft had kind of these like names that are almost unpronounceable. These ones are perfectly pronounceable. They just sound silly. I feel like talking about Parallax as well. The choice to have him in the Green Lantern movie mm. is an abysmal choice. Well, I think we could. I think that's a point to jump back on. Is the villain choice in both of these films is a big part of what makes them very similar. They've both gone with these tremendously, like these otherworldly, cosmic entities mm. of power that are directly connected to the power source of the heroes. And I can't quite think of. Obviously, there's reasons behind it, but um, I always find that a superhero film starting with maybe somebody a little smaller, uh, obviously this isn't you know, uh, always the case, but most successful ones start with uh, a little bit more of a B-list villain. Starting with somebody like that normally tends to work out a little better, and then saving the big bad for the really, really iconic one for later. Well, I think that's why Doctor Strange works better than Green Lantern, mm. because the Doctor Strange's big bad is Thanos mm. within this universe, whereas Green Lantern's big bad always has been and always will be Parallax, Fear Itself. In his first movie, he defeats Fear Itself. What else has he got to fight against? I would then pose a question about, side question about villains and, and uh, story arcs and all that. So with like things like Captain America, the first Avenger, they go straight for Red Skull. So where in the big baddie scale does things like fighting Parallax sit with like fighting things like Red Skull? Or are you comparing Parallax more on like the level of Thanos world ender? Parallax is more on the level of Thanos. Okay. It would be like in Captain America introducing Thanos and he defeats Thanos in that film, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. This Marvel spent years preparing their film series for Thanos. And like, that's why everyone's so excited about it because it's finally the big battle, the big villain. Whereas Green Lantern introduced Parallax in its first film and were kind of iffy about having a sequel. And their sequel villain was going to be Sinestro. So both films have gone for the same style of cosmic overvillain with the sort of more direct uh, amenable henchman who you can kind of graft a little bit of personality onto. Why do we think both films have gone for the same approach, like identically, big, bad, cosmic villain with underling being sort of possessed? For both of these films, it's sort of the first outing of that particular hero. I haven't seen anything Green Lantern film-wise that came out before. No. Um, and obviously Doctor Strange, this is his first sort of outing in the MCU and all that kind of thing. And I think it's a very easy arc to play with a new hero that you're not sure how well it's going to go down because then you've got the sort of the hero's narrative of him finding a mentor and learning that he's got all these powers or can get these powers um, and finding out all the ways that he can become a better person through sort of moral and physical development. You also have this big sort of overarching test of how well he's going to do with that 
um, new power and everything like that. So like for Strange, you've got the Ancient One who is teaching him all these powers and all these things that he can do and showing him that he actually has to be, at least try to be a better person for them to work. And then you have Dormammu as like his test of whether or not he can prove himself as a hero. It's exactly the same in Green Lantern, having the underling is also like his hero's betrayal, which every hero has at some point. And the, the Ancient One and Mark Strong character, whose name I've forgotten. Sinestro. Thank you. Like both of them betraying him in that way is, is, is sort of the catalyst for him to continue to be a good hero because they don't become better people. I think that's why they chose that particular narrative for these two characters because they have the same character development in that there kind of isn't any. They get powers and they get a nice CGI costume. They have no motivation to continue to be better people because them staying dicks all the way through has still got them everything that they asked for and it's still bettered their life. Mm -hmm. So the only motivation for them to continue to be heroes and continue to sort of progress towards like helping other people other than themselves is this the, the betrayal and them not wanting to end up like that and then wanting to do better than the person that came before which i think is why they chose that particular narrative i definitely think one film did it better than the other though i mean green lantern failed to establish that he that hal jordan was aware sinestro had gone evil that would have been a second film thing which is a bit stupid since it would you would have had hal jordan kind of relaxing into the job a little bit and then sinestro whereas was it mordu that, Isn't Mordu the bear in Brave? <laughs> it's something along those lines. Still a Disney franchise. Still counts. <laughs> Still counts. <laughs> Doctor Strange is aware that he has become a villain. He, his dark side has shown. And then we get to see the extent of it in the post credit scene. Whereas Sinestro is a dick constantly and in the post credit scene gives in to fear and all the scenes where he's kind of built up this animosity towards the Green Lantern Corps Hal Jordan isn't there for. That is one major thing, whereas the evil side of Sinestro comes out when Hal Jordan isn't there. So the audience is getting this information, whereas Hal Jordan isn't, which ultimately makes him weaker as a character and the story as a whole weaker. The sense of betrayal like, isn't actually um, direct because there's, what, two scenes where in Green Lantern where our protagonist and underling antagonist interact with one another whereas <laughs> you've got the same amount of scenes in Doctor Strange but he's already kind of set up as his own thing it's not there's not the same kind of sense of betrayal it's more of a betrayal of ideology and organization so there's less stuff to actually directly cling on to once our Green Lantern villain Sinestro does turn evil mm -hmm. there's no real discussion between the two as to ideology and it's a short scene in Doctor Strange but it's still there where he where uh, you've got Maz Mikkelsen's character. Does anyone know his name? I'll look it up. Maz Mikkelsen's character, uh, who kind of goes, "Well, don't you want to not die?" Uh, and then the question, and then he's the one who brings up the questioning of like, "Well, maybe your good character's not so good after all," which you don't have in Green Lantern because they're almost unconnected plotlines. Also, regarding like Mad Mikkelsen, you look at his counterpart in Green Lantern, and I cannot remember anything about him other than the fact that he's a scientist, his face gets fucked up, and he's in love with Hal Jordan's love interest. Which never which never resolves, yep. really. Well, you gotta have a Thor Dark World. Gotta have, a, gotta have a romantic <laughs> subplot, because it's a modern Hollywood film. I think both of these films suffer from, well, that's just what you do in a modern film. Mm. Oh, what do you do? You have a romantic subplot. Oh, 
a big villain. Oh, he's got to have a relatable underling. Oh, there's got to be a, a mentor with a kind of betrayal because Disney does a lot of twist villains now, so it's got to be everyone that does twist villains. That's just what, what you do when you script right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not really, it's not thinking about does it work? It's thinking about, well, that's just what you do. But with the with the love interest factor in both, I think I've forgotten both of their names. Um, they don't matter. But yeah, quite. Um, but the, the 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 main function of the female characters, the love interest in both film, is to be the character that the protagonist redeems himself to. In both films, they are assholes the whole way through to their significant opposite character. You know, Doctor Strange is just a complete dick to this poor nice nurse lady, yeah. and, and no, she's also a doctor. Oh yeah, well, yeah, okay, so. <laughs> he's, he, but he's a dick to her, like, the whole way through. And by the same token, Green Lantern, um, Hal Jordan, is an asshole to Blake Lively's character, mm -hmm. up until the point where they realise they've been dicks and they go and apologise. I feel like Doctor Strange gets off a little bit better because they're both equal dicks to the other romantic love interest, but the romantic love interest in Doctor Strange, at the start of the film, has actually shrugged him off. Uh, they're not together because she's like, wow, this guy's a real knob, I don't want to date him. Uh, and then she kind of comes around at the end when she he, she sees him doing good, which is the same thing that happens in Green Lantern. But Green Lantern, they're together and they have a child. I would wonder if the inclusion of a love interest in these films, and I'm talking general films in addition to Strange and um, Lantern, is if it's supposed to be the relatability also to the audience, to stand in as kind of an audience of like, I've gone through all these troubles, now look how relatable I'm being to you, and look how you could easily insert yourself into seeing my heroic arc from this standpoint, so that the good that I'm doing is even more good. It's mm. an interesting suggestion. Mm. I'm not sure that it works. Only because I still feel that, like, even if you take, like, Pepper Potts, yeah. who is the currently the most prevalent sort of marble significant other who isn't also a, a hero right. at the moment. She's worn the suit a couple times, but <laughs> isn't currently a hero in and of herself. Endgame. They, they all stand as a redemption song for a more powerful character. Mm -hmm. Pepper Potts is there to humanise Tony Stark and tell him when he's being an arsehole. Mm -hmm. And I still don't know her name, but Doctor Strange's female counterpart does the same mm -hmm. she at the beginning of the film she's like you're being a dick mm -hmm. not really into you because you are a bit of a dick mm -hmm. and then he realizes the same way that tony stark did the same way that hal jordan did the same way that black panther did but kind of towards his sister because he doesn't like his his romantic interest in the film is different which is why i find that sort of that character arc quite interesting in black panther but mm. towards his sister he still realizes i've been a bit of an asshole haven't i mm -hmm. sorry about that yeah mm -hmm. And then he redeems himself. They all stand for that purpose, even if they have different moments. Like Pepper Potts was the one to save Tony once Twice. for three seconds. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. she has her moments of power. And the Peter's character in Black Panther does the same. She does have like a powerful arc. Mm. Um, but they all stand in some way to just redeem a hero. And it's interesting that you say like the audience can put themselves in their shoes because superheroes in general. Marvel or DC are kind of designed to just be people that we look up to. Yeah. Like, look at this crazy special dude slash lady, because, like, Black Widow and, you know. But, Captain um, Marvel. Yeah, Captain Marvel, which I haven't seen yet. They're all supposed to be, like, just people that we can idolise. Mm. And if we're introduced to them as, like, 
this is a person that needs humanizing and needs to be more relatable it kind of detracts from the purpose of it being a superhero i'd see where you're going with it like it definitely they definitely do humanize the hero and make them more relatable but i'm not sure that they're there for us to put ourselves directly into their shoes i also feel like both films suffer from expecting sequels that's true yeah yeah, yeah. implement a romantic <laughs> subplot in the first film which you touch upon expand on it in the second like thor mm. Oh, right. Dark World's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, but Thor's a really great yeah. example of, like, realising that that doesn't work and then just axing Jane yeah. Foster. Mm-hmm. Like, she she didn't even get, a f- like, a moment on screen in Ragnarok. He was just, just off screen, they broke up. It was really solid because they axed Jane Foster because they realised that her whole purpose wasn't enough for her to be a character with any significance. It was very clear that they looked very carefully at the Thor franchise and went, what do we need uh not what like what not what do we what has been set up before what does this franchise really need what's the core of it mm-hmm. and i don't they might do it in a later doctor strange film because doctor strange we're going to get more of yeah. um which i'm kind of thankful for obviously green lantern is dead in the water also kind of thankful for which we're awfully kind of thankful oh no for. oh no wait for that exclusive dc streaming service Oof. to bring live Oof. action green lantern um <laughs> But I feel that both franchises haven't really looked and went, what's the core of these franchises? And they're mm. kind of very floundery. Uh, and so like, oh, he's got to have his love interest because he's a superhero. You know, he's got to have his uh, secret identity of love interest. They're important. Mm. He's got to have the secret mentor. And you've got to have the big bad. And you've got to have the secret villain. And you've got to have the betrayal the betrayal mentor. Uh, you've got mm. to have all of it. And, um, or, and so they've done the exact same thing because... Uh, both franchises, as uh, Greg said near the start, have come from like a very similar age. They're both kind of big secret organizations who do lots of cosmic-related stuff in their respective um, wider franchises. So there's similarities within that. And when both of these films are trying to include all of those things, they suddenly come across very similar mm-hmm. because they're both like, well, the core of the franchise is all of this rather than focusing down on what is thematically important. Because both of these films don't really have a very strong thematic through line. Uh, Doctor Strange has maybe all dying's a bit bad because mm. Green Lantern has. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. The, nope. So the interesting thing to me, as far as Marvel is concerned, and Liam will have to fill in the gaps in my Green Lantern knowledge, is that there's a really big chunk of Marvel in general that's just weird space. It's just like this unknowable thing. Oh, there's a Planet Eater now. Oh, the Infinity Stones are a thing. Oh, the gauntlet's a thing, and all these things are beyond just the singular universe, beyond like the idea of a multiverse, and we're just kind of getting into that in the Marvel films. So I would wonder if Strange, in terms of confronting that big open space, even though he's semi-essential in the Infinity War plotline, the way that they're tackling Infinity War, um, Adam Warlock, <coughs> anyway... Um, the, the I would wonder if Strange would have benefited, and I'm curious to see with a follow-up on Strange, now that we're tackling the big space unknowables, um, if he's going to make a bit more tangential sense. Because Strange, I think, aside from Guardians being like, ooh, we're you know, space adventurers, hasn't gone into the weird bullshittery that Marvel really approaches all the time with the multiple Earths, the multiple like timelines and, and just everything in between. I mean, for, for Christ's sake, you look at Spider-Verse. Those are all canon. And there's reasons why they're canons and their own specific reasons. And so we haven't confronted that yet. And I feel like I'm repeating myself. 
So how does um, Lantern, in a way, um, both you know, comics or movie-wise, and I guess DC as a whole in terms of movie franchises, would you say that Lantern's kind of the first kind of punch into ooh weird space baddies? I mean, kind of. Green Lantern for the film, what it could be, was too mainstream. Mm. It is such a weird comic book series. There is legitimately a comic book where Hal gets defeated by a tree. Yeah. And you've got creatures which are lanterns and kind of they explore emotions much further. Mm-hmm. Whereas both Strange and Lantern mm-hmm. are quite one dimensional as far as emotions go. Mm. There's no real humanity to them. Which mm. is weird when you consider that you kind of need that within the film. There's no one within Green Lantern or Strange that draws you in as an audience, as a human character. Mm. Would you say then that Green Lantern almost scaled back its weirdness to have as much mainstream appeal as possible? Heavily. Heavily. Interesting. What about, have any of us read the Doctor Strange comics? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, what about the, the the strange aspects of strange? How do you think they translated on screen? They they definitely dialed it way the fuck back. It, it's a it's a it's a it's a curious thing to think about how much is just getting dialed back for the mainstream. But um, I find it really interesting that I I can understand why DC dialed it back in the weirdness for Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Marvel don't have an excuse for dialing back the weirdness. Yeah. They established that they could send out characters that we don't really know about as an audience, like Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. make them weird and quirky, and people will love that. They could have done the same thing with Doctor Strange. Especially because I feel like audiences are becoming significantly more receptive to super-duper weird out-there superhero stuff. Like, recently you had Umbrella, um, Umbrella Academy, and that's really weird. So... I totally get what you're saying about, like, Marvel doesn't have an excuse to dial it back. But I kind of think they do. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning is, is that Doctor Strange is obviously going to be an instrumental part of Endgame. He's the one, he's the only one who's seen the one way that they can play it out where they win. He's, like, they said in the, um, we were talking about it earlier, like, why didn't he use his sling ring and fix up that giant space donut and fly them all home? It's because he doesn't want to. He is going to be instrumental in Endgame coming out the way they wanted to. And I think the reason they didn't immediately give him all of these super crazy powers is because it would have made Infinity War have less of an impact. Mm. If they'd looked at Doctor Strange and been like, well, he can do all this crazy shit. Why has he not just killed Thanos? Like, why has he not done what his buddy did and just used a portal to cut off Thanos' hand? Like, people would start to question that much, much quicker if they saw the first Doctor Strange film and they were like, well, he can do all this stuff. Like, he's amazing. Why, like, we don't need the rest of the Avengers. He can just fix it. Right. So by gently sort of building up his power, and we have to remember that in the first Doctor Strange film, he's still learning. Yeah. Like, he's thrown into this big giant situation, but he's really only been learning for, like, what, a few months? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, he does not have that grip on his powers yet. So it makes sense that he didn't have all of those super crazy powers right away. Right. And I think them building it slowly through Infinity War and through Doctor Strange makes it more impactful for Endgame. And it also makes it easier for audiences to digest the fact that, like, some of those characters really did have to die. Like, (laughs) there was a lot of depressing sand at the end of that film. Yeah. And 
Like, it makes it easier to digest for audiences and it also makes them want to come back and watch the next one. Whereas, like, if if they'd looked at it and been like, Doctor Strange could have fixed all this in ten minutes. No one had to die. Spider-Man didn't have to go to space and die on a different planet and make us all that depressed. Like... (laughs) I don't feel like, so good. Oh, no, but, <laughs> but, like it, but, it, but people would have thought it was way too unnecessary if they knew that Doctor Strange could have yeah. fixed it all straight away. And it also kind of brings back um, to... Uh, I was reading a really interesting article um, where it was talking about Doctor Strange in terms of movie and comic as sort of a meditative journey um, in a way. So like we're talking about him being an asshole at the top of the film and being an asshole at the end of the film. You don't become enlightened after one session of meditation you make slow steps in progress and you can also say that to a degree with hal jordan um in a green lantern sense in comics and in like other things is that he's not always going to channel pure hope and like there's multiple moments in lantern as far as i can remember where shit fizzles out because he can't channel pure hope and he has to overcome that himself so to degree with strange in order to comprehend the, you know, incomprehensible, to order to confront things like Dormammu and like world eaters and, and all the rest of things. Um, like you gotta really, you know, free your mind if we're gonna be hippie bullshittery about it. Like you gotta have the the, the the steps to enlightenment. So in a way it pairs very nicely with what you're saying about building up his powers, even though he's seeing all these various futures. And I think that this could be really interesting if Endgame expounds upon. You see all these various futures. But what if there's something else that he missed because he's still figuring out the Agamotto and he's still figuring out, you know, sending multiple people to different universes? You know, who's to say he couldn't have sling ringed the whole thing away? You don't know. But I think that that's what makes it such an interesting sort of journey as a character is that he is on the journey to enlightenment like the Ancient One, if we're going to keep the Ancient One as a figure of you know penultimate things she had her own problems it's that it's that kind of personal spiritual and emotional um to kind of bring green lantern into this sort of trajectory that i feel like if green lantern had green lantern 2 ryan reynolds revenge i would be really interested in seeing them explore you're saying they struggle with emotions like struggling with the emotions of it um, like Hal has a superpower moment into a blue lantern because hope becomes stronger than well. Um, you have Doctor Strange who is now just bouncing between universes being Doctor Strange because he's achieved so much in his time studying that he's able to do these things. And I'm really curious to see where these franchises go and even though a lot of these um, like Green Lantern is dead in the water, things like uh, the animated Justice League um, do so awesome things with the characters of the DC universe. Like, I would say that the strongest franchise that DC has in terms of film and in terms of bringing their characters to screen would be the animated series and the animated movies to a degree. I wonder if the way that DC structures their storylines, is it more susceptible for a serial term, like, for example, Flash and Supergirl and, and Green Arrow and all the rest, is it more susceptible for a longer-term, slow-build-up universe as opposed to Marvel, which is much more suitable for these bombastic, singular punches of punctuation in their stories? So I think I think you could, be, you could have been absolutely right that mm-hmm. DC could have had a slow-burn build-up to a sort of MCU-level kind of ensemble thing, big universe, all the kind of crossovers that you could want, like all of that stuff. 
but they tried Suicide Squad and that one sort of compound cast film went so badly. Remember they also did Justice that, League. They yeah, they also, also tried Justice so well. League which tanked. Like they they had a couple goes at it and it didn't it didn't go so well. Not mm. a lot of people liked it, not a lot of people came back to see it a second time. They kind of shot themselves in the foot by trying to force it on us because they were trying to sort of build off the back and forth. The MCU is doing great mm. right now. Like they've got films out every year and all this cast is coming together and they're in each other's films and it's really great. And they tried to sort of push that on us without first building up the love for the individual characters that, MC that the MCU did. Mm. Um, so like we had individual Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, Thor, technically Hulk, but like not really. Like we had all of these individual films and we saw them all grow as individual characters before we saw them come together. Um, and it made them coming together more significant because like you're seeing like Loki's uh, Thor's issues with Loki and all of that kind of stuff play out in the Avengers when you already know the emotional significance behind it mm -hmm. and you're seeing like Tony Stark's struggles with like his relationship with Pepper and like his PTSD about having been in the desert and been shot at and then like going through the, the wormhole thing like you see all of these things play out and they're more emotionally significant because you see the individual separately mm -hmm. whereas with the exception of Batman you kind of hadn't seen any of Justice League in any real emotional capacity mm. before Justice League came out. I think that's a problem with like just DC's films as a whole is they're in such a rush. Uh, Green Lantern again has to include everything. It's like oh we we've got to have we've got to have him see the whole Green Lantern core. We've got to have the big bad. We've got to have we have Sinestro. We're gonna have well everybody. Um, all in this one thing. Whereas I think the film would have been paced a lot better if they'd have focused it down a lot more because he's got like five mentors Green Lantern does in the film. <laughs> and like I would take one focus on him he comes down to earth you don't see the Green Lantern core then focus it on that and it would have been a lot better and save the save the Lantern cores for maybe at the end save it for a sequel because they really wanted to make a sequel out of this uh, but they were so desperate to like you know have this slow paced long term franchise but also to have all of the big iconic stuff in this one film. And I think that's um, one of the big areas, whereas uh, where both of the films kind of fail is both of them um, <laughs> would have had the space to do this long form stuff, especially Doctor Strange, but they wanted to include all of the iconic stuff to these characters. Mm -hmm. um, it really sort of set this up. Uh, and so both of them are way too long. Yeah, like I was watching them. It's like I'm both during both films. I've got my notes in front of me here, and at least once on both of these notes, I've gone, "God, is it still going?" <laughs> um, less so on Doctor Strange. That's kind of a question that I want answered. Is Doctor Strange and Green Lantern both have almost exactly the same plot, and the characters go through almost exactly the same journey down to the point where I've got twenty five bullet points of things that happen in both films. Do you want to rapid fire through those, actually. I, <laughs> I mean, I can do it. Uh, so we have an unlikable protagonist. That's one with very specific elite skill set, too, um, who gets into an accident, can no longer utilize his very specific skill set, uh, skill set uh, meets an ex-member of a secret group, joins the group, gets a magic ring, uh, flies through space, um, has a by-the-book mentor and a bold ancient mentor uh, who secretly uses forbidden magic um, and is targeted by a disgruntled ex-student um, who also uses forbidden magic uh, the protagonist has a workplace romance, but it's quite bad, um, and unexpectedly apologises to her in a redemption arc that doesn't go anywhere. Um, the city is attacked, there's a giant villain above the established villain, uh, which eventually leads to the destruction of the established villain through their own stupidity. 
um, through intense sucking, which is an interesting moment in both films. Um, then the hero, in his CGI costume, uh, flies to confront the big villain and outsmarts it with a dumb trick. Uh, the film ends with the protagonist still not very likeable, but with newly pledged loyalty to his cult, and he gets the girl. Uh, you also missed the openings both start setting up by setting up the villain with a dark, shadowy opening with low-contrast lighting. <laughs> and the post-credits scenes. And the post-credits post scenes post are identical. Scene. But so, so here's my question, is that this, the, the, I've just described the plot of two films with one set of bullet points, and one of them was significantly better received. Yes. Like, I don't know anybody that would say they like the Green, Green Lantern film better than Doctor Strange. Like, Green Lantern tanked so spectacularly. And Doctor Strange was like kind of shit, but everyone kind of liked it. So what about Doctor Strange let him get away with it? I think my main one, uh, and like, because I, going through my notes, Green Lantern's action sequences are crap. They're uninspired, boring, for what is the most interesting power set in all of comics. You know, they deliberately, in Thor Ragnarok, gave a different power set that's more visually interesting of like summoning weapons to a character who never had it in the comics because it looks cool. And you have that whole power set ingrained with Green Lantern. It is the most, it is the superhero skill set that translates to a visual medium the most. And they fucked it up because they do nothing interesting with it. At no point does he do like all these almost like cartoon Looney Tunes-esque stuff that uh, I've seen a couple of comics panels that are insane. It's all very, here's a big gun. Oh. Uh, during like one of the big um, meant to be climactic fights near the beginning of the film where he's going up against his mentor character, he summons some swords. <laughs> they summon swords for all of the fight. Uh, and then at one point he summons a Gatling gun. It's boring. He never does anything interesting with it at all. Apart from one point where he uh, rescues a helicopter by put, turning it into a big Hot Wheels thing. But even that, but that is on one, so that's one interesting idea that goes on for like three minutes mm -hmm. it's unacceptable so here's a question about use of imagination then so in the comics you get to see all the zany wire brain things like you know you get various versions of the bat x and and da -da 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 -da. so do you think that because it is such a interesting and also can be a distinctly weird power set if they were trying to make it more relatable, much in the way that we were talking about Strange ramping up his powers. They were talking about, oh, if audience member Y had a ring that could create anything and they were trying to face down a big bad, like, they'd go for the uh, Scarface, I'm reloading, you know, moment, as opposed to, um, you know, thinking about... I can summon these mystical, you know, like prison pyramids that can then like approach them from all angles and then suck them together and stab them through and then twist them into another form so that he can't do anything. Like there's, I feel like there's the assumption of individual imagination at that and to make the, I would do the same thing as Hal in this moment, a hey a uh, hey fellow kids look this is what's going on with this power ring am i right or am i right um that that's my thought about it being unimaginative and why they did that um or it could just be cg budget which is probably also the case 
Possibly, but there's, there is an excuse to be made for them not being too imaginative. Because if I was given a magic ring and I could, and, and then I was put in a fight, I would probably summon a weapon that I knew existed. Mm-hmm. You know? So, like, I totally get that. But there's a difference between being realistic in the limitations of his imagination and just being really boring with it. Mm. So, like, the Hot Wheels thing. Like, turning it into a car that runs around this, this racetrack that he's conjuring in his head at, like, real time is an interesting idea. Mm. It's, it's better than it's idea. better than like Dr. Seussing it and like having him bounce on a trampoline until it loses momentum or anything like that. Like it, it was a better idea than there could have been. But at the same time, they ran it so long that it's like okay, you could think of something else by now. Mm. It's one it's interesting just really idea. Boring now. Like like I understand that yeah. that the, there has to be a distinction between the comic book and the film because all the zany shit that he gets away with in the comic book would just be like kind of stupid. Yeah. On on screen. Mm. Um, so I get that, but at the same time, like, they ran it too long and it became sort of disappointing. Ultimately, I feel like this comes back to the fact that the, what we discussed earlier with the weirdness. Green Lantern didn't commit enough to its weirdness, whereas Doctor Strange just went that weird enough. And what's in Doctor Strange, uh, again, the actual plot and the story beats and the characterization is serviceable. I would say it's actually serviceable in both, yeah. but... Where Doctor Strange differs is that its action sequences are really visually interesting. Yeah. The CGI in it is very like these are very these are some very smooth bricked buildings. Yeah. Um, but like there's creative stuff going on there mm-hmm. with the warping and distorting of reality, that kind of um It's very Eastern aesthetic. It's very Eastern aesthetic, that kind of mirrored um uh, mm-hmm. kaleidoscope view of stuff is really cool they do a lot of really cool stuff with it it really leans into also what i think is really interesting about that sort of visual style it leans into the um i don't know how uh, familiar you guys are with like super chinese or super japanese live action sort of action movies like kung fu movies and uh like red cliff um is one that always comes to mind for me they had these insane zany action moments and it really sort of bends your brain about like, oh, well, then how did that work? Why did that arrow curve that way? Oh, because he's doing this and holy shit because of that. And I think Doctor Strange does the same thing, like twisting the train around. I think so. Green Lantern took inspiration from just Hollywood action films. I think Doctor Strange has taken inspiration from everything from Inception, you know, mm. very much a kind of big blockbuster that kind of bends your brain about sort of dreams, you know, dreamscapes and bending reality, all the way to these kind of, you know, Eastern action films with lots of, kind of high jumping and warping of reality. There's a lot more inspiration going into these sequences to make them these kind of creative marvels mm. of, oh, the fl- he's moving the floor underneath him, he's rotating the entire world to just slam him back and forth where any other film would have just oh magic grab slam back and forth up and down but it's the fact that the whole world's rotating that makes it this kind of visual marvel it does matrix bending matrix bending a lot of a lot of people go to watch these films to switch their brain off and watch something cool and doctor strange has cool visuals and greenland does not Mm. so the ultimate point between the difference between Green Lantern and Doctor Strange is Doctor Strange is able to pull the audience in and suture you within that universe so you're enthralled in the film. Green Lantern, you are hyper aware you're watching a film. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that's why Doctor Strange gets away with so much of what it does because he's, pretty. he's still not a good guy mm. by the end of the film. No. He's not made any character progression and, and you know, it was a very predictable narrative. But they made it just interesting enough and just exciting enough that we're still willing to buy into it mm. and let go for a couple hours and watch this much too long film. Whereas Green Lantern just kind of, you're watching it being like, yeah, okay, the, the helicopter's been on the tra- racetrack for ten minutes now, let's wrap it up. <laughs> oh, but two more loop-de-loops. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do another loop-de-loop because it looked cool the first time. But like, yeah, I think I think that's the somewhere. main difference between the two is that, is that Green Lantern just slightly missed the mark on, on, on making it something worth buying into. Uh, so I think that's all of our thoughts on I Green that, Lantern, wraps it up pretty the well. Doctor Strange, uh, DCU, the MCU. Um, we'll talk about the uh, Monster Cinematic Universe at some point, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> uh, but cool. Um, so what's next, guys? Uh, so next week we are looking at the various awards that have been handed out to films recently. Mm. We've got, we got some things to say Especially about the Oscars. That. Yeah, particularly the Oscars. But uh, yeah, we have some things to say about the uh, recent film awards, I think. Not really new things. We're not that creative. But <laughs> we've got, we've got, we have opinions. We, yeah, we have opinions. Wait, right, looking at the Oscars, we have to ask, is this real life You're or is this ahead. fantasy? It's, it's been ex- oh, I like that. Oh, that that's was very a, good. Ooh. And you talked over let's, let's do some uh, social media plugs, shall we? Uh, Callum. Oh, yeah, so my Twitter is CallumBurn11. 11, because there's lots of me. <laughs> um, please follow me. I'll be posting updates on like the timeline, my edit, and stuff like that. It's Callum with two L's and B-Y-R-N-E for burn. Thank you. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm still getting my Twitter sorted out. Um, but uh, if you want something imminently, uh, that would be at Greg Jones Design on Instagram. Um, I post a lot of interesting in progress thingies um, of my work and such. Um, and I'll be uh, doing a couple posts here and there about doing research for things for the podcast and interesting other mabobs. Uh, so that's G R E G G. J-O-N-E-S-D-E-S-I-G-N. Liam? I mean, I just post a lot on social media, so if you just follow my Twitter at, at Liam Matt, L-I-A-M underscore M-A-T-T, you can see all of my social media from there, where I just talk about random shit and post film stuff and will update podcasty things. I don't use Twitter enough to make it worthwhile for anybody. Um, well, did we hit on any of the points that y'all thought about? Are you vehemently with us uh, when we couldn't hear you? Go ahead and drop us an email um, at our new Tasty Debrief email, which is... the Tasty Debrief at gmail.com. Or... The Tasty Debrief Twitter. Which is at the underscore Tasty. So please let us know what you think. Um, we're trying to get this all worked out and make this an enjoyable experience for both ourselves and for you. Uh, So catch us next week with wonderful Oscar topics. And uh, this was delicious. Yum. Tasty.